May we read from Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be your shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the first star appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for this child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and, and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasury and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in the dream. Get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are now dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said, he will be called a Nazarene. For many, when we picture Christmas, we have this kind of idyllic Norman Rockwell vision of how that first Christmas was. Gentle snow falling, peaceful, calm, 
baby is sound asleep, never cries. Mother is beautifully dressed. Father is, is strong and able, standing right next to them. But in reality, according to Matthew's Christmas story, Christmas went down quite different from that. Here we have a small group of astrologers, actually scholars, they studied the stars, they studied scientifically what they could figure out from stars. So these small cadre of wise men are actually magi, astrologers, scholars, who end up traversing continents to try to find a newborn king. They're being led by their studies, by their science, and by this star, this mysterious star. They leave their homes to discover a newborn king, not in their hometown or in their homeland, but in a faraway land in a foreign country. On their way, they encounter a deceitful king who pretends to be royally nice, as they might say in Daniel Tiger land, but is bent on killing off any threat to his throne, any threat to his rule. He has already killed three of his sons and his wife, fearing that they were going to try to take over his throne. But God has a different plan for these magi. These three visitors, and after seeing and worshiping this newborn king, the Messiah, they are sent home in a dream by a different pathway. The evil king, Herod, is enraged and probably a little embarrassed. He's been caught, he's been trapped, he's been fooled. And he seeks then to get revenge and to put an end to all of this by killing all the little boys that are two years of age or younger in and around Bethlehem. The mothers of Bethlehem, like Rachel, in that prophetic word, are inconsolable over the loss of their babies. Meanwhile, the, newborns, the newborn king's family is warned in a dream about impending threats. Mary and Joseph and their baby escape to Egypt. Escape? Well, they get over there, they become refugees. They are unwelcome in their homeland, at least until King Herod dies. So much for a calm and peaceful Christmas night. But I am intrigued by the Magi. They are seekers of the truth. They are not believers yet. They don't know what to believe. They don't know who to believe. They are seeking this profoundly important person that has supposedly been born in a land far away from where they live. And they go, they feel called to go and to find this newborn king, taking with them gifts from their treasury. If I was listening to God, and God told me to leave, like these three, or like Abraham and Sarai, Abraham and Sarai before the mainstream. If God told me to leave and go to a foreign land, I might 
hesitate. I might think, that's not the best move for me right now financially. That's not the best for, move for me right now in terms of my career. I might have all those ideas going through my head. And yet if God truly calls, are we listening? And not only are we listening, but are we responding to that call? Sometimes when God calls us, the call can be frightening. It might be a voice within yourself telling you you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not able enough. That creates fear within you, that inner voice that tells you you're no good. Or it might be a voice from outside, threats that come against you to threaten you and even to kill you because they despise you. I'm reminded of a story from the book of 1 Kings. It's, uh, I believe, chapters 18 and 19. It's one of the stories of the great prophet Elijah. And I think of how today fear is such an important feeling that we either deny or we project that we will not succumb to fear. So we either fall victim to it or we try to overpower it. Fear is one of those difficult feelings, emotions, that we are forced to deal with on occasion. And I want to know how you're dealing with it. Elijah, this great prophet, had an encounter. But before we get to that part, I need to tell you the first part of the story. God was so in tune with Elijah. It was amazing the things that Elijah would proclaim to the people, and especially to King Ahab, the king of Israel, who was waffling and following his wife Jezebel's kings and queens, their gods, their prophets. He was waffling between Israel and the God of Israel and Jezebel and the God of Baal and the God of Asherah. So Elijah first had told King Ahab three years earlier that God was sending a drought that they would not receive water for three years, and that is pretty much what happened throughout the land. Now, in chapter 18, God has told Elijah, go to King Ahab and tell him that the three-year drought is about to end. So Elijah calls for the man who is in charge of King Ahab's palace is home grounds, all of the fortress, the areas around there. And his name is Obadiah. He's kind of the chief servant to King Ahab. And so he calls Obadiah to come to see him. Obadiah comes and he, he is in the midst of 
doing some work for the king. The king has asked him to take some of the horses and mules out to try to find some grass that they can graze on because there's no feed, there's no grass around the, the palace. And so he runs into Elijah, says Ob Obadiah kneels down, bows down to Elijah because that's how well known Elijah was, this great prophet of God. And Obadiah also bowed down because he believed in Elijah's God. He was a follower of the God of Israel. Not so much his boss, King Ahab. So Obadiah asks Elijah what he can do for him. And Elijah says, go tell King Ahab I want to see him. And I can just see it. I mean, this would be a great uh, movie clip. You know, Obadiah would be flailing around. Oh, yes, thank you so much, Elijah, for giving me that request. Of all the requests, everybody's been looking for King Ahab. And then he comes to meet them, and they're not there. And whoever tells them that they wanted to meet with him, they die. King Ahab kills them. So thank you for putting my life on the line. I'm going to die now. That is Obadiah's response to Elijah. Elijah's response back is, Obadiah, I promise you, I will meet with him by the end of the day. And so Obadiah goes back to King Ahab and tells him, the prophet Elijah wants to meet with you. So he meets with Elijah. Elijah tells him that the, the drought is about to end and that God has called all the people of Israel to come together at Mount Carmel. And he says, I want you to bring the, the prophets of the gods of Jezebel, bring 450 prophets from the god of Baal, bring 400 prophets from the god of Asherah, and two bulls that we can sacrifice up on the top of Mount Carmel. And so Elijah meets them all up there, and he tells the prophets of Baal, he says, now, take, we're both going to sacrifice uh, these animals, uh, and whomever animal is consumed by fire, they will show all the people that they are the followers of the one true God. He says, the only thing is that you can't bring any fire. Your God has to provide the fire. So he says to the prophets of Baal, you go first. And so they prepare their altar with wood. They slaughter the bull. They lay it, the bull on top of the altar. And then they start praying to their God. It says they prayed from morning until noon. And they prayed and they began to shout even louder to God that he would bring a fire down upon the sacrifice. Nothing happens. About noon, the prophet Elijah decides to have a little fun. He says, well, maybe you're not praying loud enough. You should pray a little louder. And then he says to them, well, maybe your God is daydreaming. Oh, I know, I know. He forgot that you're down here. You just need to wake him up. And so they danced even, even stronger and louder. And they shout, hoot and holler so that their God will be awakened. Nothing happens as the day goes on. So now they resort to, to not only shout, shouting and dancing, but now they're cutting themselves, bleeding over the 
sacrifice. And there's still nothing happening. And Elijah says, well, your God must have fallen asleep. So at the end of the day, their sacrifice remains unconsumed, sitting upon this dry wood on this altar, and nothing has happened. At this point, Elijah begins to take what's left of the altar of the God of Israel, because the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asher have destroyed, and the people have destroyed this altar up on the top of Mount Carmel. So Elijah puts it back together piece by piece. He takes the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and then he puts those back into the altar. And then he puts all this wood on top of the altar once he has it rebuilt, and he lays out his sacrifice on top of the altar. Then he digs a trench around the altar. And then he begins to bring in buckets and buckets of water. He begins by bringing in four buckets of water. He does this another time. He does this another time. Before long, there, the altar, this dried wood is so wet, everything is so wet, and, and the water is so so plentiful that it's filled up the, the trenches around, around the altar where the sacrifice is supposed to happen. It is not until this point that Elijah offers his prayer to God. God of Israel, show these people that you are God. You are the one and only true God. And after he prayed this short prayer, this flash of fire came down from heaven and consumed not just the sacrifice. It consumed not just the wood and the timber. It even consumed, Scripture says, the stones dust. Nothing was left. At this point, there's a rebellion against the, the gods of Jezebel. The prophets are all killed. And before long, you would think Elijah's at the top of the world. Everything he has said with, to, to the people of, of Israel, everything he said to King Ahab that has come to him from God has come true. So what could bring Elijah down? Well, he gets a message. That next day, he gets a message from Queen Jezebel. And this is the message. May God strike me dead if I have not killed you by this time tomorrow. Elijah runs to the wilderness. He goes and he runs and he hides because he is afraid. He is afraid of Jezebel. He is afraid of the people. He is afraid of everything that he has just shown the power of God to. How could he be so strong and courageous at one point and so fearful at another point? I think if we're honest, all say that there's a little bit of Elijah in each one of us. That feeling of fear can creep
creep in and can grasp a hold of us and take away all that God has given us. That courage, that confidence, that trust, that faith. Those things that the magi, the wise men are seeking. As Elijah wanders into the wilderness, he finds himself sitting under a solitary broom tree and finds himself praying to God to take his life away. I'm finished. They're going to kill me. Just take me away, God. And God calls him again now to Mount Sinai. He goes to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God says, I will meet you there. And at Mount Sinai, he said that there was this loud, roaring wind. And he stood outside of the cave while the wind was blowing, seeking God. But God was not in the wind. Then there was an earthquake, and he listened for God there, but God was not in the earthquake. And then a raging fire blew through, and he thought, surely this is God. And he listened for God, but God was not there. And so as he sat back down, wondering where God was, that moment, he heard God. God came to him in a gentle whisper. And God called him to his final mission. Fear will come to each one of you. It's not a matter of being afraid not being afraid. What makes the difference is how we work through the fear. And the way to work through the fear from this story of these magi is to listen to God. You may begin not really believing God. You may begin not really even thinking God can do anything in your life. God is there, and God is ready to act, even if it is just, just a gentle whisper of a voice. Listen to how God, how God's words spoke into the lives of these people. The Magi began by listening to the scholarship of the star that guided them to Judea to worship a newborn king. By the time they met the king of both in Bethlehem, they were listening to God through a dream that they should go home a different way to avoid King Herod. They listened to God through their gift of science and through the gift of faith. That's my contemporary midrash 
is that it's okay for us to listen to science and to listen to faith. We look for God as the ultimate source because that is where God brings us. Science through faith. could be like Mary and Joseph, listening to God in turbulent times. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and told him to take Mary and Jesus and to flee to Egypt because there were people after, after Jesus. They wanted to kill Jesus. So much for that peaceful night. As Joseph awakens Mary and the baby and they flee to Egypt, Listening to God can be disruptive. Mary and Joseph also listened to God because they remained in Egypt. <coughs> Joseph has another dream. When another angel comes to him and says, Get up, take the child and his mother back to Israel, for those seeking the child's life are now dead. King Herod has died. We don't know if it's months or within a couple of years, but in a short period of time after Jesus' birth, came here and died. Joseph and Mary listen, they get up, they take Jesus, and they return to Israel. But Joseph is, receives another message from God in another dream. And in this message, he's told to forego staying in Judea. And instead, he is called to go back to Nazareth. And so they avoid Judea and head back to Nazareth where they make their home. Joseph and Mary are listening to God, which saved Jesus' life. Listening to God is an essential characteristic of following God. That is my belief as Christians. Listening to God is a essential characteristic. Listening to the Holy Spirit and then checking that, that message with Scripture to make sure that what we are hearing is biblically supported. If you want to be a missionary, if God's called you to be a missionary, there are missionaries that can guide you in Scripture. Those early apostles were missionaries. Paul, the apostle, was a missionary. There are plenty of stories of missionaries to help guide us when we receive that kind of call. And so we, we listen to God. Maybe the call is to be generous, like Barnabas, who was called the son of encouragement, who gave away property so that the early church could have financial resources to support their work. Listening to God is an essential characteristic. When we do that, we have a sense of calling with that biblical support. And we can answer that call. But how will we hear, how will we listen we are not in God's word. 
How will we know if we don't study the scripture? Are you listening to God? Are you praying for God to speak to you? Are you in God's word? I pray that this story brings you encouragement, brings you hope, and brings you life. Because you, my friends, have been chosen by God. You have been called by God to follow. So are we ready? What is God saying to you?